Welcome back, Literary Slummers, to another episode of Shelf Aware, the podcast where we read books outside of our comfort zones. I'm Anna. And I'm Em. This week on Shelf Aware, we are continuing our literary submitted Sad Girls unit, mm-hmm. um, which was submitted to us by listener slash friend slash RPG buddy, Hannah. Most importantly, listener. <laughs> Most importantly, listener. Um, who suggested that we do this unit. We started off with uh, Sarah Dessen's something can't remember one of hers never mind i'll find someone, someone like, like you. you that's it thank you <laughs> i was gonna say walk to remember and i knew that wasn't no nope. right. <laughs> <laughs> kind um, of a capital n capital s nicholas Sparks yeah book, yeah i feel like there's some overlap here yeah i think sad girl books are maybe the capital n capital s nicholas it's weird how we say capital n capital s as, li- as if his name yeah. isn't capitalized but yeah you it's a proper mean. noun fully <laughs> <laughs> Capital N, capital S, Nicholas Sparks books uh, are kind of like the adult version of sad yeah. books. Yeah. Like, As most things in the publishing industry, if a woman wrote it, it's YA. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, which brings us kind of to this this book that yeah. we read, which is in some ways the er, sad girl book, uh, Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this one does skew a little bit older in terms of that the... New adult is yeah. I was gonna say this honestly felt very new adult. To me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sylvia Plath should have talked to her publisher about that. about you know how she this, was. You, no one's heard of this book, you know. Well, that's the thing that apparently this was kind of a flop when she released it. I can see that. Um, but it's a very quiet piece, and she also released it under a pen name. And really? Then, yes, and then she died by suicide, and um. I guess that kind of increased her notoriety a bit. People were yeah, uh, were was, clamoring for more plath. Um, there was none to be had. Yeah, except for, you know, all the Poetry. stuff that Ted Hughes had and then some published posthumously and some he destroyed. Um, I cannot believe that. I know. It's wild. I don't really know a lot about Sylvia Plath. I had not read this book before. Mm. And I know you have, um, though it was like in high school. So how much of how much of this felt like, uh, new to you and how much of it do you like appreciate more now as an adult I would say yeah I read this in high school I only remembered which is making me wonder if I only read the <laughs> first just excerpts of a bell jar <laughs> no like I I know that we were assigned the whole thing I'm saying perhaps I did not complate the assignment <laughs> uh, <laughs> <This> tracks <laughs> uh, because I, I definitely remembered most of the stuff up to um like her internship, all of that part. But then yeah. I fully really don't remember any of the stuff. That's like she... the most boring part. I of know. This book. <laughs> That's probably why I gave up and stopped reading it, I assume. I, I, don't blame I remember you. reading the whole thing, but like it, I must have been skimming because I just. Um, I don't blame you. I would have too if it had not been an assignment for this podcast i probably would have if i if i had picked up this book just be like i wonder what all the hubbub is about it's a classic whatever and then i was like i don't want to read this and after she like the whole thing is just her whining about being in new york city Mm -hmm. but makes more sense when you get to once you get to yeah the rest of it and you're like oh okay okay. that wasn't her whining it was actually like depression (laughs) slow descent (laughs) to depression yeah um i would say i think it is a great like examination of mental illness and Mm -hmm. dealing with depression um I definitely liked it more now than I did as a teenager which I feel like Sylvia Plath is a very teenager like this sounds kind of rude but like I feel like being into Plath is a very teenager-y thing that a lot of girls get into right Mm. I don't Um, know this was like not on our list of school assignments it kind of like surprises me that it was on high school mm. assigned reading like well it was the the ib english class so oh i no. see mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i i think it's interesting that we spent so much time on it because yeah. it was probably like three months or so of wow this. yeah this was actually summer reading and then we did a bunch of plath poems and I don't know if that's the best call, just because yeah. I think that that's... It's kind of heavy for high school. It, not it? even like... that it's heavy for high school, just that I I feel like a lot of the reason that Plath is, uh, stud- was studied in high school and is part of the canon in a way that a lot of her contemporary female... Uh, other like writers are not Mm -hmm. um, is because she died by suicide and it does Mm -hmm. play into the like 
the shock and awe. And not to say that she's not a great writer, because she is, obviously. Um, yeah. But I think that there are other writers. The who, tragedy of it all. Yes, who were doing equally interesting things, who were women. But it's interesting that Plath, who is the tragic uh Mm-hmm. early death which so it's much like plays the literary in- canon fridged her uh-huh yeah <laughs> it's very it's very weird how she gets i again and th- this makes it seem like i'm saying like she doesn't deserve to be part of the canon that's not what i'm saying i'm saying that no. other female writers deserve to be part of the canon like yeah uh, there yeah. are tons of like adrian rich Maya angelou like any of the sort of like uh 60s uh audrey lord any of those mm-hmm. could have been studied you know for part of that poetry segment in that high school English class but weren't and it was all focused on Plath and it's like why uh why why Mm -hmm. are we so why do we romanticize Plath so much and I think it is you know because she she died early yeah Yeah. like I I always find it interesting like what you know what two three hundred years and in this case like 50 60 years mm -hmm. later we are still reading and, and teaching as like these are these are the texts you need to leave high school education with having right. having studied intensely and I'm just like what if we just chose what we wanted to read instead of I think that's generally a better approach to especially high school <clears throat> education in terms mm-hmm. of um, I, I don't think you know most schools are going to do this because standards and and you have to check yeah. out certain boxes but I think that is generally a better approach to having kids have an appreciation for literature is to give them you know at least some options in what they are consuming because yeah. I I think that um, it is also somewhat dangerous to present Plath as the uh, like the female writer you know of this sort of era yeah because what does that say to young high school girls dealing with depression right like mm-hmm. even this book I mean. It ends in a more uh, like the the sad girl trope that we are talking about. One of the things is that it ends in a technically happy way. Like it ends somewhat uplifting. She's feeling better. She's the bla- feeling the better. The bell jar has been lifted. Right. Or whatever. Whatever the metaphor is. But this character <laughs> is a loosely retooled self insert of Plath. Like most of the events in this book happen to Plath. There are some things that are I was wondering changed. how yes. much was autobiographical. I don't, like I said, I don't really know anything about the author other than that, the oven. Mm-hmm. That's all I know. Well, and it was, I believe, a year after this was published that she did end up dying by suicide. Mm-hmm. So what does that say about, yeah, like, yeah. about women and their place no in hope. fiction, right? Like, or we'll not, zap your brain even, but, you know. Yeah, like, that. that is... Which, you know, that's also not great. But. Right. That's not the best to have that be the... I'm trying <clears throat> to think of, like, other female writers that I read in that class, and I'm kind of drawing a blank. Like, I know we did Shakespeare. I know we did... Um, Dostoevsky, I know we did... We did Willa Cather. Would not recommend. See, we didn't do Willa Cather even. That um, was our... I grew up in Kansas. That was our course, That was our course. prairie book we had to read. I don't... Yeah. We never did get, like, interesting assigned reading. I would say <laughs> it was always like, well, here's... Here again is, is how hard Kansans work to mm. make a life for themselves here in this hellscape. Yeah. We did, um... A little bit of uh, Zora Neale Hurston, but not nearly mm. as much as Plath. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just like, why? Harper Lee. See, that was our freshman year. That was. An, yeah, that was know. my sophomore year, I think. Um, And I mean, we did read My Angelou's I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, which I feel like. We did not. Is a very, but I think that was like freshman year as well. So I don't I know. I can't say we were assigned any authors of color. We um. always did at least one a year, <laughs> Um, you know, diversity. Yeah. Uh, that's all you need, right? It's just one a year. Just um, one. But just it was, the one. You're set. I, I feel like, to your point, that, yeah, it's not the best to... The, yeah. Anytime that you are picking and choosing a curriculum, um, you are inevitably going to end up excluding certain things and including others, and the things that you include, yeah. you know, it's like, what is that What is that message sending? So get rid of, get rid of literary canon. <laughs> just literary. toss it right out. <laughs> 
We did get to, I will say, my, my teacher we had in my sophomore and junior year of high school did allow us, like, we had our assigned summer reading, and there was, like, a few touchstone books we had throughout the year, but then otherwise it was kind of like, your assignment is to read a book about XYZ, so far. here's a list of ones you can pick from. So there was at least, like, a small list, but... And, and that was much more enjoyable. But again, like a lot of the education is and, and, and then when we get to college, too, of course, like unless you actively seek out those classes that fill requirements that are going to have that mm. diversity bit to them, like you're just going to get the same old stuff spit back out at you. So I think at least with college, that does work a little bit better in terms of, yeah, you can absolutely take a class on Sylvia mm-hmm. Plath or you can take, you know, uh, literature of the Caribbean or whatever, you know, um, mm-hmm. so you do have a little bit more of that a la carte style but especially in high school I think where it's like you where should be foster standard yes and you should be fostering an enjoyment in reading yes. in teens and I think that the way that a lot of uh, curricula are uh, you know decided which this is no fault to the teachers almost always it's state standards that oh yeah cause yeah, it yeah. be this way um, but yeah, that leads to kids who are generally uninterested in continuing to read, you know, like, mm-hmm. cause why would you, if you're own if you're, if, if all books are like, uh, heart of darkness. Yeah. Or if you're being told that the only, you know, women in literary, in the literary canon end up sticking their head in the oven, like, you know, yeah, it's, it's not a good look. Anyway, that's my rant that's against our- Plath, I guess, which yeah. is like, again. Not against Plath, against the men who placed value on Plath, I yeah. guess. <laughs> I don't know. It's 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 hard it's to It's a weird do- one. Yeah, because it's like, absolutely, I think, give her flowers. She's a great writer, has some great poems. But I I think that the fetishization of her work that, is yes, a little a good- suspect. Yes. It's odd. Um. Yeah, I I was coming into this book first time. I really honestly did not even really know what this book was about. Other than that, it was supposed to be sad um, and and talked about mental health. Mm. Um, And I am like uh, someone, someone coming to this text the first time. I can understand why people appreciate it but am also a little bit surprised by the lasting effect mm. it has had. Like that it's not one of those, like, if you liked XYZ, you should try this underrated uh, mm-hmm. classic from, you know, like it's, it's, it's kind of like, this is the uh, book about women's mental health, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I, I feel like so much of that plays into the, you know, tragedy mm-hmm. of Plath of like, well, this yeah. has to be a good exploit. Like this has to be, a she's a confessional poet so she's writing about what she knows and b look she really did do the thing she did so i do mean it, yeah she had to have been really depressed you mm-hmm. know um i also found that um i didn't maybe this says too much about my mental health uh I was surprised by uh, – it felt like the sadness was a little overhyped for me. Like, Mm. yes, is this book dealing with heavy topics and is sad and, like, a truly bleak look at the mental health health systems in the uh, 1960s, especially for women? Yes. But was it the saddest book I've ever read? No. That was the one where the dogs died that I just recorded (laughs) with our friend Kate uh, on (laughs) All the Good Dogs podcast. Uh, <laughs> I read those two back to back and you know what and I was like you know what the dog one is sadder <laughs> I read this back to back with the book that we're recording next and um that's a wild it that's a really wild. put me in a weird headspace for that one <laughs> yeah uh, um well awesome let's let's switch gears just a little bit and talk about what else we've been reading other oh, than our nothing. podcast assigned reading yeah I I <laughs> I downloaded that Disney Dreamlight Valley game and I was like, Em, please, you have to come play this with me. And at first I thought you were just going to like, you were not, you were not gonna. And then, and then you did. I did. And it's all I've done. Um, and you did better than me at it. Of course. <laughs> you went further. <laughs> I I have read part of, cause I was looking into, I think you said that, uh, and you know, don't tell me what it is yet, but that someone did 
give us a submission for the last book in yes. this unit, but I was looking at other possible books, and I found one that I was like, I don't think this would work for what we're doing, but it sounded interesting, so I started reading it. Um, and I'm about like halfway through-ish, I think. Uh, it's called Notes of a Crocodile by Miao Jin Chu, um, okay. uh, which translated by Bonnie Hui. But uh, it is very similar to Plath in that the uh, author also died by suicide um, mm-hmm. several years after writing it. It is about a young uh, college student and her uh, love for one of her uh, classmates that you know is it does not go well in her kind of coming to, to uh, terms with uh, her sexuality in uh, Taiwan in the, I think it's like the 80s. Um, and it's pretty interesting. And if this is kind of the vibe of the book that you like to read maybe check it out like this is kind of the thing that you said about like oh if you, but I mean it is a it is a yeah f- I think fairly well-known uh book in its uh country of origin um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah it's uh very very literary lots of metaphors um lots of sadness so you know if that's what you're into maybe maybe come read it with me I'm about halfway yeah through. if you like that sad stuff yeah how about you? Um, as we all know, I famously do not like sad stuff. Mm-hmm. I did read uh, a romance novel called Battle Royal by Lucy Parker. Ooh, I've never read that one. Is it was really good. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's two rival bakers are both. Uh, there's a there's a royal wedding. It's the first royal mm-hmm. wedding in like 50 years or something, and they both want to uh, place a bid for the cake. And also they're on like a great British bake-off show together as co-hosts or or judges, I mean. And um, then they fall in love. It's really cute. Cute. I liked it. Mm -hmm. I love a good um, reality show romance. Yeah. I think those are always fun. This is something new I'm diving into. Mm -hmm. Um, I was kind of, I always shied away from like the celebrity style romances, you know, Mm -hmm. where someone is famous or they're on TV or whatever. But now I'm finding it's kind of maybe a one of my jams i like have it. you read um olivia dade's series no i i think i uh i have one of her books i think i think they're quite cute yes also, that's the one with it's like uh she's a plus size uh content like bachelorette situation is that what it is it's no, uh the first one at least is she's a plus size uh cosplayer Oh, fun, fun, fun. She writes fan fiction. Spoiler alert, that's what I have. Yes, she writes fan fiction and is in love with this guy. Well, not in love with, but like she has a friend who she has never actually met, and he also writes fan fiction, and he is actually one of the stars of the show. Um, And it's like very Game of Thrones type show, but it's like Roman mythology. Um, oh, so it, like it's this. it's quite layers. fun. There's yes layers. So I do have that on my Kindle. I read that a long time it. ago, so I could not recommend it for this week. But you know, there you go. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said, I also read a book uh, called Tomorrow by Damian Dibbon. It's a book about an immortal dog looking for his equally immortal master. Mm. I read that for our friend Kate's podcast, All the Good Dogs. She uh, talks about dogs and pop culture and usually like movies and TV shows. But uh, I come on and we do Doggy Book Club. So uh, check that out. I don't know if it will be posted by the time that this episode airs. Probably not. But just go um, follow but I think her it's on October. Twitter. Yeah, just go follow yeah, her on go Twitter, follow her on Twitter, Instagram, all the and good dogs. Yeah. yeah, on everything. Um, I retweet her episodes. So, like, if you follow us on Twitter, you can go to our Twitter, find her, you know. You know how. You know how Twitter Social works. networking Probably works. better than us. Yeah, please. <laughs> anyway look for that in a couple weeks i'll probably talk about it again (laughs) uh um also i guess would we recommend this book oh yeah um yeah i think so if you want to be slightly sad yeah it's 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 a good book to read i think um and I think we'll talk about this a little bit more in the episode, but I, I think it's just like a nice, not a nice, that's a bad word to say. It is an interesting <laughs> look. Kind of, I kind of saw it as like an expose almost on mm. like mental health care in this time period because um, it has advanced very quickly in a very short period of time. And it's kind of shocking to think this book was Ha-ha. published in like 19, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> published in 1963, I think. Uh, and for I mean sixty years, but still, yeah. In the in the history of medicine, I feel like that's a short period of time. Mm. I, Maybe I'm dumb. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think there there is definitely uh, not only in terms of the uh, 
history of medicine, but also like feminism. And yeah, it's a look at the social roles of the time and kind of gender roles and might give some indication into why previous generations behave in the way that they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that was kind of the thing I wanted to touch on is like this is this is this is considered like a big feminist text. Um, and I was kind of surprised by like the amount of like the casual racism mm-hmm. and the the fat phobia and like the the homophobia wait, a little wait, bit wait, as well. Wait, wait, wait! You mean a white feminist? I know. Is also racist. No, so I was like, to me, to have this touted as like it is the feminist tax. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if that's true anymore. It is a, a type of feminism. Mm-hmm. I also don't <laughs> find it particularly like feminist in terms of like feminist ideology, but more feminist yeah. in terms of like understanding of. Uh, oppression right yes Mm -hmm. um and specifically i mean yes the types of oppression that white women were going through like uh which is also another reason why i'm like do i need to still be reading this all the time in high school maybe not maybe Um, not maybe not (laughs) because it is it is a very uh privileged type of oppression absolutely Um, yeah and i also like you mentioned the racism homophobia fat phobia um while we're throwing out phobias, a few content warnings here. Obviously, there's mm-hmm. going to be discussion of suicidal ideation. Um, mm-hmm. Possibly, we'll get into the suicide attempts, um, mm-hmm. general depression, sexual and assault. sexual assault. Uh, so, if any of that is something that you're not comfortable with, feel free to check out. Have a great week. We will see you next week. Yes. Um, put yourself first. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah, this one I I don't really have a lot of notes on because it's kind of it's kind of just vibes, right? It is kind of just vibes. Um, all right, this book I guess it's it's been a minute since I've read it, so <laughs> forgive me if I am not clear on the details. Um, all right, so this book this book uh is about the like a year in the life essentially of Esther Greenwood. She is like a nineteen year old girl who goes to college in Massachusetts, and she has uh, procured herself a month-long internship in New York City working for a magazine uh, as a guest editor. I don't... Is it is it a fashion magazine? Like, I know they do a lot of stuff in the fashion world, or is it just like a women's health sort I of? think it's like Teen Vogue is slash was in 2016, where okay. it's like, yeah, we do fashion, but also we have political takes, and yes. maybe it's story in there occasionally um i think it's primarily fashion but i could be wrong about that yeah um so we we basically get a very detailed um view into esther's everyday life and how she kind of seems to have an issue fitting in we've got like a few archetypes that are presented to her like this is how women can be in this time period Mm. we have her little friend betsy who was like a conformist like she looks a certain way she acts a certain way she always does what she's told and esther thinks that's lame i don't want to be like betsy then she has her like more rebellious sexually open uh likes to party friend doreen who esther kind of pals around with but quickly becomes exhausted of doreen and her whole lifestyle and and kind of like um uh, what is the word? Like rejects her at the end of the day. Mm. She's like, I really, Noreen, you're you're it's a mess. Too much. You need it's to get yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's also JC, who is her boss at at the internship, who is described as being very ugly but very successful businesswoman. Mm-hmm. She's hideous. Is the thing you have to know about JC. Um, and somehow married. Don't know how she bagged a man, but. Here's hideous working woman, JC, who seemed to kind of just like, I mean, she wanted Esther to do her job. We we see Esther is like, um, while she may have started out like being very dedicated and wanting to do this position, is just like burnt out by the time we meet her. She's like, I don't give a shit about these events that we're supposed to go to. I'm just phoning it in. I don't have anything I want to write. I'm not showing up into the office to do stuff. Like, I just want to lay in my bed and just like, let you know let time pass that's all i want to do which you know fair i mean i think it's gifted kid burnout would be the yes. kind of what we would call it now because yeah she's 
even talks about, I think, at one point how basically she's she's so good at being a student, pretty much. So good. That, uh, it's the, the only thing she's good at. Is yeah, that <laughs> the professors essentially let her, like, pick classes that she really shouldn't be to, like she she's in physics and she's supposed to do chemistry or whatever and she hates physics but she does really good at it so then she's like can I just sit in on the chemistry class and not actually do it but get um, credit for doing it just give me an yeah, A you know just, I'm gonna get an A yeah and just just <laughs> when does that ever work I I like, don't know what? I I don't even know if she actually gets an A for it if it's just like she doesn't have to take because she's like yeah she does I think she doesn't get credit for it it's just she doesn't have to take it it's like wait oh yeah yeah. she's taking a different class instead she's like I'm so overloaded with Shakespeare could I just maybe sit in on the chemistry class and like for the love of learning and they're like totally Esther you're such a good student (laughs) um the other thing that is uh very notable about Esther I think aside from her giftedness Mm -hmm. and the fact that she hates all women is um how every single one every single one is a trash bag uh, but i mean she also hates men too she really yeah, just she hates to everybody hate everyone uh, yeah mm-hmm. um, including with, herself including <laughs> herself perhaps most of all mm-hmm. oh sad <laughs> very sad but uh the thing that she does love is food and committing food crimes um, oh my god there is so much to, like i did not remember this from reading this and i feel like I should have because it's it's George R. R. Martin levels of describing food in some of these scenes yes. where it's just like here's all of the food that was at this luncheon and here's this and here's mm-hmm. that and here's da 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 with her and, nasty little comment of I can eat whatever I want and never gain I don't have to reduce like all the other mm-hmm. women I know yes like, yes love that I love I for as a term for like dieting like that's that's a new one for me I've not I've not heard that one of like having to reduce that's a pretty prevalent one at this time period yeah yeah I guess I don't read a lot of fiction from the 60s but yeah like <laughs> <laughs> like you're literally like making yourself smaller and for like to reduce yourself and okay yeah. okay that's that's messed up but so we get we get a few scenes of like the food crimes that she commits there's the one towards the beginning that's like i'm trying oh, let me pull it up hold on all i'm thinking of is like shoving avocados full of yes crab meat that's the one that's the, well so okay so there's avocados full of crab meat yeah. right and that's what they're served at the ladies' luncheon. And she's like, avocados are my favorite fruit. And I'm like, okay, girl. Um, <laughs> interesting choice. But then she is. She talks about um, – so obviously, like, there's a lot of symbolism in the food, right? Yeah. But I just want to talk about how buck wild this is. She, <laughs> she – her grandfather uh, was a waiter at a country club, so he would bring home avocados. And this is how she would prepare them. Um, she calls them pears, which really confused me. Like a pear says, avocado pear. I think she says avocado pears, meaning like they're cut in half, like a pear would be served. Oh, uh, see, time I thought. Period. I mean, they are kind of shaped like pears. Yeah, like, but I think like, specifically, okay. like when they're cut, an avocado pear is when it's like the halved avocado mm. long ways, like served with something in it. I, I think. See. Um, not a hundred percent sure, but. Um, I thought she was just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she she talks about how like she had. Uh, gotten a lot of you know like bougie food from her her grandfather and he used to bring home avocados and he taught me how to eat avocados by melting grape jelly and french dressing together in a saucepan and filling the cup of the pear with the garnet sauce that is no, i thank you i'm a proponent of food crimes and honestly i might have to try this just to see <laughs> no. why i'd have to see i need to see what it looks like i need I just, to see i need to messy. know it haunts me because no. that's a wild way to eat anything <laughs> anything is to just fill <laughs> like picture that amount of sauce it would be like a hard-boiled egg where it's instead of a deviled egg it's just like filled with like hot sauce or something right like that's not mm-hmm. a that's very wet i don't like <laughs> it very messy to eat i feel like yeah no not not for me <laughs> and the food crimes do get her in a little bit of trouble it gets all the girls in trouble because they do get mm-hmm. really bad food poisoning at this fancy banquet where they i think it's the crab meat or something has literal poison in it <laughs> this is the second sad girl book we've read where there are sad girls throwing up and yeah. they're not pregnant, so that's fun. Is that part of the genre? They have to throw up and not <laughs> be pregnant. They have to throw up and not be pregnant. Yeah, I think uh, so. 
so we get we get all this description of Esther um, not enjoying the company of any of the types of women that she knows and being like, I'm not like other girls, maybe. Um, and then she also we get this kind of break in the narrative at this point to reflect back on this relationship she has with a boy named Bobby. Is that his name? Buddy Willard. Buddy. I think. That Is it sounds- Buddy or maybe it's Bobby. <laughs> Buddy Willard. Up. That's his okay. Name. Yes. Uh, so Buddy Buddy Willard is someone from her hometown that she's known, and she was really in love with him until he started showing interest in her, and then she was like, I don't like him anymore, Classic. but now she's kind of in like a committed relationship with him. Um, it was the weirdest, like, it just seems like neither of them really liked each other, mm. which, again, might be indicative of the time period, just they were expected to get married because their families knew each other. They, they went to the same hometown. They were both like... They both felt like they would be the same level of success and attractiveness, perhaps. It was just easy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Buddy Buddy starts courting her and coming up to from Yale to come, like, spend weekends with her. And she goes to the Yale formal with him and stuff. But then he uh, he's a medical student, and he gets tuberculosis. And he has to, like, go to a, um, a retreat. A to TV like, ward. Yes, yes, to recover from this. And she goes to visit him and she's like completely disgusted by the fact that he has an illness and he has gained weight because of the illness. And she just like, she just doesn't like Buddy. She just, she's like, the longer I know you, the less I want to have to do with you. And Buddy like gives her the most unromantic marriage proposal I've ever heard. How do you feel about becoming Mrs. Buddy Willard? You're in a hospital ward in your like bedclothes. Uh, I felt like I was kind of on board with buddy for this i was like mm. you know i she has already checked out before she shows up to the hospital because she yeah. specifically says like that she basically just let everybody she was like yeah i'll go along with the buddy thing while he's in the hospital because i don't have to do anything and it gives me more time to study and the other girls in my hall aren't bothering me about not having yeah, any dates they're not making like, me go on blind days yeah so this works out great for me um yes but from Buddy's perspective, as you know, a young, virile, tuberculosis-laden man Future in doctor. the 60s, um, you know, like, he he's not really doing anything wrong, I feel like. he's That's true. You know, he, he is just fine with having a life of predictability. Like, Esther is yeah. not, and that's fine, too. Uh-huh. Um but I definitely feel like I th- remembered going into it really disliking Buddy. And I was like, why? He's just a dude. Like, he's just a yeah. dude. There are a couple things. Like, when he wrote her that letter that was like, hey, one of the nurses here is really into me and I might pursue that. Are we like, are you okay with that? And she was like, I don't care, Buddy. Honestly, I like, that's though, a weird. <laughs> I think that's a pa- I think I'm okay with that move. Because she, at this point, is clearly stringing him along. And I feel like he's like picked That's- up on that and is like, look, do you want to do you want to do this or should I look somewhere else? You know, like, I feel like that's fair, honestly. Buddy Willard apologized. Buddy Willard did nothing wrong. And I think also part of my apologist nature for him is how much I absolutely hated Esther's uh, main reason for disliking him, which yes. is that he's not a verge. Um, yes. Buddy has created this inequality in their relationship because he has had sex. But of course, everyone expects the woman to stay pure until her marry or until her marriage, right? Mm-hmm. Um so Esther kind of in New York, her goal is kind of like, I have to even the score, I have to go out and have sex too, and that's gonna solve all my problems. The reason I am so like sad and have and full of so much ennui is because I'm not full of a ween, right? <laughs> Yeah, and I, like, again, a theme in this these sad girl books, and perhaps it's because we've been reading somewhat dated ones, but, like, Mm. this real preoccupation with your partner's sexual past, right? And I get in terms of this, that it's like, oh, it's unfair that she is expected to remain pure and he is not, but A... She has a weird hyperfixation on purity in especially mm-hmm. the first half of this book. And B, I think that like we are told that she is expected to be, you know, pure and virginal and whatever 
but mm-hmm. it's not really something that comes up in the book itself. It's not like that many people are coming up to her and being like, like slut shaming her or anything like that. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it Everyone does seems to just be. I mean, in fact, she seems to be the one doing a little bit of slut shaming towards yes. Doreen. So it's and like towards herself a couple times, I think. Like, yeah. so I think that it. And I mean, part of that is you know getting into like the hyperfixation on certain things that comes with mental illness and whatnot, but. It just is really frustrating to keep having all these books where everyone's like, oh, my God, it's so unfair that this guy had sex. And it's like, OK, it's not your business, though, even if you were going to marry. And I get it's the 60s, but like it, it it just really annoyed me, I think, because that Sarah Dessen book did the same thing. Right. Of being mm-hmm. like, ho- it's just horrifying if a guy, you know, has has sex before you or has sex without saying he loves you or, yeah. you know, like. And it's that that shouldn't be the message that we take away, yes. right? Like it's like no, you can have sex too. That part just be fine. safe. Yeah, be safe, be sensible, um, make good choices, but uh, that that work for you. But partake don't in carnal pleasure. Partake in carnal want. pleasures. Don't shame your partner for having partook in in carnal pleasures themselves more or fewer yes because she keeps calling him like a hypocrite for it and i'm like how for what in what what way because he he, never said yes because i think she says like oh when we started going out together like he made it seem like he was so into me because i was like he like that i was more experienced and he was acting like i was more experienced and he's obviously more experienced than me and i'm like he didn't know that you weren't experienced. You said that you dated a lot of guys. So it seems like he maybe. kind of assumed that maybe yeah. you'd fucked around a little bit and was chill with it. And now you're getting mad about the fact that he thought that you were the thing that you presented yourself mm-hmm. as. And he was fine with that. And he, like, yeah. and there's even a moment where like they're in a room alone together mm-hmm. and Buddy tries to initiate a sexual encounter and Esther just like completely shuts it down. Yeah. He's like, he gets naked and she's like, she like studies him clinically and he's like, okay, now your turn. And she says, no thanks, no. maybe another time. And, <laughs> and then like they, sadly puts all his clothes back on. But then they continue on as normal. So like this dude isn't it's even weird. like super pressuring her to have sex yeah, or anything. Yeah. It's wild. He, he just goes with it. He's just like, oh, okay, well, cool. Like, <laughs> I don't know what I would have done in that situation, but it's not what but he did. Uh, <laughs> but he's like, I'm in a TV ward. I got you or the nurse. And, you know. Yeah. I mean, just go with the nurse, buddy. Um, <laughs> got to write Esther off. She, yeah. So she, she's she's attempting to find a sexual partner in New York City. She she fails to do so. She tries. Like, there's, there's a, a translator that she goes on a date with. A translator for the UN that Buddy's mom actually put in contact with her. Kind of as like a, oh, here's a family friend. They'll take care of you in the city situation she tries to sleep with him but he's like not super interested um and then there's also another date she goes on that ends poorly with him like trying to sexually assault her and uh so obviously not a good scenario she leaves new york city a virgin i know the most upsetting state to leave new york city Uh, when she returns home, she discovers that she has not been. So she she applied for an advanced writing course at her college. And that was kind of like the one thing that she was hanging on to. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm going to take this advanced writing course. It's I'm going to submit some articles that I write in this class to the newspaper, but under a pen name. And then when I and when JC gets my article and asks me up for lunch, I'm going to reveal it's me. It's going to be a big like. Uh, like I'll pull one over on them. I don't know why she feels like she needs to get back at the newspaper, but I think just to like prove herself. Yeah. Like, Oh, you thought that I, I, like I, this whole part, I get this, like this Mm -hmm. idea of like, Oh, I just need to do this one thing and that'll fix my life. Right. And it's like, nah, Uh girl, that's incorrect. There's you a lot of little things you could do instead. You have a lot of stuff going on. Stefan therapy. Work on it. Um, uh, but the idea of like, oh, they thought that I wasn't good because I was behaving in a manner that would indicate that I am not good at my job. That I was checked out and didn't yeah. want to do it. And I'm yeah. going to prove that I am actually good by I'm writing this story. Genius. Right. You know, like yes. I, I get that of like, again, the, the gifted kid burnout of like, oh, fuck, I'm not gifted anymore. Well, I've got to show them that I actually am. Right. You don't you understand know? my potential. Right. I'm the next Dostoevsky. I'm the next Platt. Don't Plath. you know? 
yeah, so she doesn't get into that class. Um, and because of that, it was like a summer course. She doesn't know what she's going to do for the rest of her summer instead. Like she could enroll in other classes at her college, but instead she decides to drop out. She could go stay with another of her friends, but instead she decides to spend the summer with her mother, which is something she has not done before since at- attending college, I believe. Mm. Um and she's kind of listless. Like, she doesn't have a job. She doesn't have anything to, like, really occupy her time. She kind of is like, maybe I'll write a novel, but that never comes to fruition. And her mom's like, maybe you should learn shorthand because her mom is, like, a, a secretary who teaches shorthand. And she's like, you need to learn shorthand so that you have a practical skill. And Esther just, like, doesn't doesn't want to do it. And also, it doesn't come naturally to her at first. So she says, no, I'm not. This is useless. Um, I'm this never going to learn it. Again, so again, relatable. Again, very relatable <laughs> on that front. Yeah. Um, and she just is, she just, she starts to have insomnia. She stops bathing. She stops talking to her friends. Um, and her mom takes her to a psychiatrist uh, named Dr. Gordon, who was like, okay, uh, time for some electric shock therapy after like two sessions. Um, the first one in which they don't talk about anything at all of any weight. And then when she arrives at the second session, the same, same like uh, state of mind, he's like, wow, you're not getting any better. And so they do electric shock therapy, which is very um, traumatic for Esther because he, he does it in a way that is not very safe or gentle. I don't know in what way this treatment ever was safe or gentle. I, I was not alive during this time period. I never had it done to me. It sounds horrific and inhumane. Electroshock therapy is still used. Is it really? It just sounds so wild to me. Um, it's not like super widely used and it's much more in the way that the therapist, uh, like I, don't I've never done it myself but um I think it's still used to treat depression don't quote me on that but I think it is like lower amounts and I would hope so because this guy's like bite on this piece of rubber and try not to scream yeah and I think that the the second therapist she goes to is like you know doesn't do everything perfectly either but is more like hey informed consent is a thing in the medical practice mm-hmm. and you should be aware of the treatment that you're going to get before you go to get that treatment which yeah. yes please absolutely tell patients what treatment they're going to get absolutely. before you administer the treatment that it should yeah. be don't, standard don't practice. surprise them with right. it certainly um but yeah I, I think let me actually hold on let me look up real quick uh ect is often used with informed consent as a safe and effective intervention for major depressive disorder mania and catatonia so yeah i had no idea i honestly thought this was something that had already been phased out but still it's wild to me that um that it would work i don't know anything about the brain obviously among treatments for severely depressed pregnant women ect is one of the least harmful to the fetus so that's interesting yeah i guess that's yeah give uh options for for women yeah because i think pregnant. like a lot of a lot of medication obviously mm-hmm. you cannot take while you're pregnant so yeah and um, i mean a lot of that is less like you can't take while you're pregnant because it does something terrible and more like it is not ethical to do clinical trials of this on yeah a woman so we don't know what so it does don't know right exactly. um and after what was the fucking one was it the 60s or 70s the the one drug that like everybody used and led to like a ton of birth defects now everybody's like super hyper uh, thalidomide is that it I don't know maybe um, it's in the, the we didn't start the fire song children of thalidomide that part it's uh-huh. referring to, to women taking this drug that caused birth defects oh lord yeah yeah, yeah. Um, mm. so that's like part of why people are now like hypersensitive about uh, giving women drugs when they're pregnant because they're like oh no we don't know what it'll do and it's like mm-hmm. we're probably ha- behaving a little over cautiously but also it's probably a good thing in most cases mm. <laughs> Okay, I'm looking at the Mayo Clinic now, and it says much of the stigma attached to ECT is based on early treatments in which high doses of electricity were administered without anesthesia, leading to memory loss, fractured bones, and other serious side effects, which is what Esther goes through. So my bad. I did not realize that this was still a very normal thing to have done, and that is very helpful to some people. So I take back what I said, and I learned something today. I mean, I think that's true of a lot of uh, practices that are, you know, medical practices now have a lot of them have very dark histories you know yeah so i mean like any medical practice that is used now often has very like sinister origins um Mm -hmm. and you know even some some sinister practices in place today in some cases but um you know so so i don't think that anyone can fault you for 
uh, especially with the kind of discourse or around electroshock therapy for not knowing that it is still a practice in place today. Now I know. Now you know. And all I can do is go forward as a human being <laughs> better than I was five minutes ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm laughing, but I have to say something really sad. Do it. Esther decides she wants to die. <laughs> the electric shock therapy goes really poorly for her. And she decides there's nothing else for it. I got, I'm going to kill myself. Um, she tries a couple different ways. One of which is just she's going to swim down to the bottom of the ocean and just stay there. Interesting. And, and her body keeps trying to float. She's like, damn you. Damn you, body. She, she has this issue like a lot because she also does this um, – when discussing uh, asphyxiation, hanging herself, um, mm-hmm. that she cannot follow through at the last second, her body decides to, yeah. you know, not do it. And then I think there's like, she has the discussion with one point, like her friend, uh, it's not Joan, because that's the one that ends up in the hospital. It was, Jody. I think it was like, yeah, it was like a guy, I think. She was like, right, oh, it's the guy, like but a... it's her friend, Jody, who brings her to talk to the two guys. Yes, yes, um, that's right. Mm-hmm. But the the front like it's a date set up basically, and mm-hmm. this guy is like starts talking about a play where the the character the male char- the main character in this play um, is suffering from some sort of disease I think, and uh, it is left up to the viewer as to whether or not the mother ends up killing him or not. And they get to talking about like oh if you were going to commit suicide how would you do it? And he's like well I would use a gun of course, and she's like. Um, a that's a very male like way of thinking that you mm-hmm. would need to use it's like so gross it's so gross and also like she's like probably I would fuck it up if I tried that yeah this is probably knowing what I know of Esther this is probably true it's probably accurate she's not very she's she's like I would I would pull the end of uh, a fight club and I would shoot myself in the head but be totally fine and stand up and talk to my girlfriend after while the pixies played in the background yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so she decides that she instead, uh, she gets a hold of a large quantity of sleeping pills and then hides in the basement crawl space and uh, overdoses to the best of her ability. Um, she's down there for a couple days mm-hmm. and is found finally and taken to a hospital where she recovers with no permanent injury i was so confused about what about this happened because yes because it's like we don't know because she like gets the pills she takes the pills and then she wakes up in the hospital right and Mm -hmm. we're not really told at the time that she crawled down to a basement crawl space but she or maybe we were but it was like it's not very clear yeah Um, it was kind of it was very like in uh stream of conscious sort of like and she wakes up and the nurse is like at one point, she she wants to see herself in a mirror, and the nurse is like, mm, "You shouldn't. You look like crap." And she's like, "No, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine." And the nurse finally brings her a mirror, and she's like, really beat up along the face, and like her face is a whole mess. And I'm like, "How did that? What was? Yeah, what was, it was the like blood vessels? Yeah, I don't bursting. know. I don't know. It was very. And then she drops the mirror and gets kicked out of the hospital because of that, which because she's violent, quote unquote. And then we find out, like through uh, when she also goes her hair is shaved off too, right? Yes, which I assume yeah. was for the electroshock because, like, if they were doing more of that, if they were doing like while she was kind of in and out of it, yeah, if yeah. they were like up to apply um, or pos- like because she meets someone who has had a, a lobotomy and she did not have an, like. Esther does not get lobotomized so that's not what it is but that is kind of the implication with the hair shaving like I'm like why like they had some sort of brain surgery yeah like did she I don't know like if if maybe if she stopped breathing and they Mm -hmm. had to I don't know they had to cut into her skull (laughs) to like rewire her brain again yeah I don't know I don't think that's how that works it isn't okay no I think they focus more on like (laughs) mouth lungs for that one yeah if she maybe she hit her head real good when she fell unconscious, yeah. I don't know. But even I, I, I DK, this I also made no sense to me. And then we don't really find out fully like, oh, she was down in the crawl space or whatever until she goes to another hospital and meets this girl Joan, who we'll get into in a second. Uh-huh. Um, but she has all these newspaper clippings. 
yes. about Esther's story and how, oh, they thought she ran away and then they found her in the crawl space, right? Yes. Um, so, yeah. And it's, it was like days she was down there. And it's yeah. Like, I'm like, what happened to her face and hair, though? Like, maybe she just. did you last that long? Like, may, I, I, I could see if you were drugged up, like, because you don't need water for like three days is when you'll start mm. like dying from that. So, you know, if it was like two days, two, three days, mm. I don't know. Wild. I just don't Absolutely know. Absolutely wild. Like, did a brick from the crawl space fall on her face? They like, banged what? her up when they pulled her out. <laughs> yeah. <I don't> <laughs> like, oh, crap. <laughs> I mean, like, again, it makes sense metaphorically because it's like, oh, she has everything that made her valuable to society as a woman has been removed yeah. from her, right? Her beauty yeah. and all this, you know, her ability to write. Cause this is the other thing that she's really torn up about through this whole thing is that the depression has made it so she can't write or read. Right. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I get it that like, it makes sense metaphorically to have her like look fucked up after this trauma, but I don't understand what physically happened to get her to that point. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the the nurse, though, like you said, she 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 drops the mirror and breaks it, and the nurse uses that as an excuse to call her a violent, uncooperative patient. She is moved from this private hospital to a city hospital, like a psychological ward of a city hospital, which is like understaffed, underfunded. So you can assume things are not great there. Um, but eventually, her mother writes to this famous novelist that's mentioned a little bit earlier in the book too but a famous novelist um named philomena guinea who is also like sponsoring esther's college scholarship so she's met esther before they've had a lunch together and 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 they kind of correspond a little bit so she reaches out to philomena and she's like i'm gonna pay for esther to get uh help at the private hospital that i went to when i also was having mental health problems um so this is like, uh, you know, a much nicer facility. Uh, the doctors here are much more progressive. She has a woman doctor named Dr. Nolan who, um, you know, doesn't try to force things on her, um, talks her through everything that's going to happen to her. Um, and uh, she meets other women there, most notably Joan, who is Buddy Willard's ex, uh, the, the girl that Buddy was dating uh, right before he started dating Esther and maybe dated them simultaneously for a small period of time. Who can say? Um, and Joan like has this strange fixation on Esther as like someone who has, she's like, I, I, I vaguely know this girl Esther. So I'm going to like collect all of the newspaper articles about what happened to her when she was at first thought to have run away and then found in the basement crawl space. So she's got like her whole life here. Um, the interesting thing about Joan is she considers herself like as as the two of them uh, go through their treatment, um, Joan kind of she would consider Esther one of her closest friends. Esther's like, I don't like you. And the reason I don't like you is because you are a lesbian. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's great. Um, I mean, Joan, Joan did make like a sexual advance towards her. And Esther was instead of just saying like, no, thank you, was like, you're repulsive (laughs) and walked away from her how one does totally normal it was i i like that esther all so so joan like made this um romantic overture towards Mm -hmm. esther which she thoroughly rejected and then she went and tattled to dr nolan and she was like why would some women love women and want to have sex with women that's disgusting and dr nolan's like whoa slow your fucking roll Sometimes women get tenderness from each other that they don't get from men. And then Esther was like, yeah, whatever. And I was like, well, that's not exactly a <laughs> correct understanding of sexuality either. But it is better than <laughs> Esther's version. It is better than what Esther had to say. It is. That is a very, like, um, <clears throat> second wave, I want to say, feminist thing of, like, oh, I'm a lesbian because men are annoying. And that's kind of yeah. coming back in the discourse now of like, gosh, I wish I men wasn't. Men are trash. I wish I wasn't attracted to men. And it's like, that's not how it works, gang. <laughs> like, <laughs> like political lesbianism was like a big thing at the time, I think, of like choosing to be. And I'm like, no, no, buddies. No, this is, <laughs> I get the impulse, but no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, 
So, so Esther, both Esther and June begin to have uh, see improvements in their mental health, or at least maybe are beginning to mask better. I don't know which it is, uh, especially in the case of Esther, but um, there, there's like a series of different hospital wards at this private hospital that you can be in based on like how far you've progressed in your treatment or how basically how trustworthy the doctors think you can be. Um, like you get more freedom and more uh, like permission to go out and, and have guests and stuff at the like the, the most healthy part of the hospital. And then where you can be bumped down to like if you're in a near catatonic state, you will mm. go to whatever. So um, Esther improves. Joan improves. They're both they're both in the part of the hospital where they're it's basically like they live there and they can go out to town and do stuff. But they have to come back and still have appointments and and, and have treatments and stuff. Um, Esther decides on one of her outings to town, she is going to finally lose her virginity to this math professor she runs into. And they have sex. And Esther is like, this didn't do anything for me. Like, I, there was no, like, life-changing situation. Like, this, this, sex is nothing. And then she, like, started bleeding. And profusely. I think... It's like, what is this? I think this scene is why... So many high schools teach this book still because it's so it's so like fear based sex education. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hated this. Yeah, I, I hated mean, that this was the moral we reached about sex in the end of the book. Yeah, because it's like oh she she starts bleeding. She goes to Joan's roommate because at this point I think Joan is or maybe no I, Joan is there. Her roommate is out, but uh right. But I'm saying uh, was Joan living off campus at this point? Or? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. She's so living she, with like the a nurse at the yes, hospital. Yes, which is why she goes to Joan because she's uh-huh. like, I need to talk to your roommate because she's a nurse. Mm-hmm, um, but the roommate's gone. The roommate's gone. So they have to call around to doctors and none of the doctors will take them because it's not an emergency and it's a Sunday. And it's and, a premarital sex situation. Yeah. And Esther's like, just call the fucking ER. <laughs> and, and Joan finally does after calling like 10 doctors. <laughs> she's like, oh, um, fine. Which, uh, like, I feel like there's some sort of thing there as to why that, like, there's some stigma about the ER or something at the time. I don't know. Because why wouldn't that be the why first call? Why wouldn't you do that first? <laughs> why are you going to doctors for house calls? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and then she, she goes and the doctor's like, well, this is, like, a very rare thing, but it does happen sometimes. And I'm like, does it? I guess. I, I don't, don't know. know. Yeah, um, she just starts hemorrhaging blood. I don't. They they make a point to say in the book like it's a one in a million chance, mm-hmm. but also like, also it's like the big the big sexual event of this book it ends horrifically and Esther's like I'm not doing it anymore <laughs> like it wasn't worth it wasn't and worth I, it to have sex premaritally. I think this again gets into the whole um, second wave feminism of it all of like there is very much at the time this idea that sex is a thing that. Um, is expected and to be endured from women and not necessarily a thing that is enjoyable. And so it is a, mm-hmm. a, a political stance to say, I will not have sex with men because you are taking away the ability for them to get enjoyment from your body and saying, like, I will only use my body for myself, right? Yes. Um, so, like, I get that. But also, like, now we have gone through a few waves of feminism and we're in the, like, you should do things that you enjoy and sex can be enjoyable wave Mm -hmm. of if you know wave feminism isn't really accurate but whatever um the the idea that sex can be and you know there was a hundred percent that in the 60s as well like you know we have hippie culture and all of that but um there is still kind of like in certain feminist circles this idea that like sex between men and women is inherently uh like subjugation of the woman right Mm -hmm. so i mean like again i get it but yes reading it now from a modern lens where it's like no maybe it would have been better if she had an enjoyable time and like learned that she could have sex with people and it would be fine and she wouldn't die or have severe pain from it but that's not what we got yeah I'm also I'm also a little concerned by the amount of like bodily fluid that Esther just leaves behind in people's mm-hmm. cars. Yes, we didn't even talk about the the time that she puked all over a guy's cab and and just threw a tissue and on it and just covered it, and got it with out. tissues and left. Yeah, her Wild. and another girl. They both had food poisoning and they just kept throwing up quietly in this guy's car. 
this cabbie <laughs> did nothing to them. <laughs> it was really brutal. Um, <laughs> and then she like, uh, the guy she had sex with, she asked him to drop her off at Joan's house. And she just like bleeds all in his car, doesn't say anything to him, gets just out. It's like, this is your punishment for <laughs> goodbye for doing this to me. And then she ends up so, like charging him, right? Like she like she has makes the him hospital, pay the hospital yeah. bill, which yeah. that's kind of a power move. Yeah. <laughs> so um, she goes to the emergency room and then goes back to the uh, the private hospital where she's been staying. Joan, it's they thought um, her mental health was improving, but they were all wrong. She goes missing. Uh, doesn't like come and check in one day and then they find out that Joan has uh, hanged herself in the forest outside of the hospital that's the end of Joan so go to your friend's house bleed all over her couch go to the emergency room and then Buddy Willard shows up and is like is it my fault is it is it my fault am I the one that makes girls become so depressed that they try to kill themselves to which I mean Esther should have said yes, yes. but also and like she's like no it's not your because I mean that's giving him too much not. credit right yeah like, yeah yeah he was nothing in both of their stories <laughs> uh and then um Esther Esther is given the news that they think she's well enough to go start school in winter semester at her college she's missed the summer courses which whatever and I guess for the fall semester um and she's very excited about that, and uh, she thinks, you know, I hope this is it for me, but but the the bell jar could drop again at any time, and I'll be trapped inside of it. So, you know, she it's does kind, also, of a, kind of a happy ending. She also does do more electroshock therapy with yes, uh, the new yes, doctor. Yes, yes, but it's gentle and nice. But it's nice. nice. They do anesthesia yeah. on her first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so cool. There you go. That's this book. That's this book. Wild Ride absolutely wild ride so (laughs) what do you want what do you want i I don't know i don't think there's anything in this genre that i crave other than just like i want to i want to i want a good book like i want Mm. a book with a compelling plot line perhaps um you know i know a lot of these by definition are going to be coming of age stories but you know we'll see and they're interesting characters too I think in our third one, I want aged back down because yeah. I feel like that's more of the assignment. Even though I do think mm-hmm. this is a sad girl book, I think it is a bit of a not quite exactly what we're going for, um, just because she is a bit older. Um, I would like, I guess, you know, something dealing with a new new issue aside from mental health or pregnancy would be fun just to see yeah, a plethora. Um, yeah. I would also like the love interest, even if they don't end up together, to not just totally suck. Because that's been kind of the vibe. Give and us I'm, a good like, relationship. Yes, maybe. give us something that, even if, like I said, even if they don't end up together, even if he dies or something, that'd be sad. Um, give me something that we can root for at any point in the book. Because both of these, I've been like, no, <laughs> no, this is clearly not right. And you should not end up together. <laughs> Uh, but yeah um so we'll be diving back into this i don't even know and in a few weeks our schedules all higgledy pickled now um but next mm-hmm. week normally we would be doing a dive book or a you know series book next but yeah because of the recording snafu you guys got the dive episode last week so we're going to be starting um my new unit next week which we are also about to record in Ooh, five minutes Um, So Anna does know what the unit is. I'll act suitably surprised anyway. Um, So since it is, again, time for spooky season, we are diving back into these spooky genres with uh, a book that I did not like when I read it as a child, which is M.T. Anderson's Thirsty. Um, Ooh, sounds interesting. Wow. And the unit is going to be YA horror. Ooh, cool. So excited. (laughs) Uh, And then... The week after that, we will be doing the second dive book. Yes. So sorry for the confusion. Um, it would have been ugly to listen to if we had yeah. recorded last week. I was I was 
M, the, the worst part about it was like M asked me the day before hey are you going to be well enough to record and on Tuesday I was like yeah I'll be fine and then Wednesday I woke up and I could not talk <laughs> I kind so, of suspected that that was where it was going to go so I did not rush to start rally. reading the book <laughs> I was going to rally but it didn't work um, anyway <laughs> wonderful in the meantime if there is a book or a unit you would like for us to cover for the podcast you can either tweet at us at shelfawarecast or email us shelfawarecast at gmail.com as always thank you to Ben Cope for the use of our theme song you can check out his YouTube channel in our show notes below we are also on all of your favorite podcast aggregating platforms so if you haven't followed or subscribed to us on one of those you definitely should otherwise um Otherwise, tread carefully. I I know. I don't know what to say about this. <laughs> Otherwise, this we'll come just, to your well, house and feed you avocado with French dressing and jam. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, nope. Sick now. And we didn't even <laughs> mention the fact that when she left New York City, she threw away all her clothes and just had a suitcase full of avocados. Anyway. <laughs> If you use Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we'd very much appreciate a five-star review. But if you don't, that's all right, because you are allowed to talk about us anywhere on the internet you like. In the words of Sylvia Plath, if there's anything I look down on, it's a man in a blue outfit. (laughs) Black or gray or brown even. Blue just makes me laugh. What the fuck is wrong with blue? (laughs) Okay. I'm going to sneeze. No, I'm not going to sneeze because I talked about it. All right. Wow. Back. Don't Magic. worry about it. Magical. <laughs> Magical. Magical way so to get rid of sneezes. That would be the worst superpower to have is to be able to get rid of. Well, that would be okay, I guess. Get rid Sometimes of your you sneezes. Sometimes you need to sneeze. Yeah. It feels good. It feels That's right. True. That's true. God, uh, I wish I could sneeze right now. <laughs> all I want in life is to sneeze at this moment. All I need is a sneeze. <laughs>